Amen. Amen. Y'all can appreciate them if you want to. Thank you. Our time of worship through music this morning was especially meaningful and encouraging to me, and I, I'm grateful for the musicians and the servants that God has given us to lead us in, in worship. I hope that you are too. I, um, I want to I take a moment this morning and do a little bit of housekeeping, if you don't mind, before we have our time of Bible study. It's it wasn't important, I, I, uh, I wouldn't do this. I want to mention to you Easter, which is three weeks from today, three services that we'll be having on that day, 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30. I want to ask you first and foremost that you bathe, bathe those services in prayer. Yeah, that was not a coincidence. <laughs> We're praying that... Um, the Holy Spirit unleash His power and His presence in this place. I believe that He will only do that to the extent that we are faithful in calling upon Him to do that, that we are faithful to pray, to pray with pure hearts. I want to ask you as well that you would be very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit's work in your life as He gives you opportunity to invite unchurched family, neighbors, friends, co-workers to come and celebrate with us on Easter. I'm counting on you doing this. Folks, we could spend $100,000 on marketing, but it would not be nearly as effective as God's people being sensitive to God's Holy Spirit in regard to opportunities he gives you to invest yourself in the lives of other people. There is nothing greater that you can do for someone that's in your life who does not know Jesus. There's nothing greater than you can do than to be a vehicle for introducing them to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. A hundred years from now, they will thank you for that. And I ask you to please, please do that. We are, we are asking God to bless as only God can bless, but we also acknowledge that there are some things that we need to be doing in preparing for Easter and, and um, um, ministering effectively to those who will be visiting with us on that, on that day. So we are tweaking our systems, if you will, so that we can more effectively minister. I mentioned just one to you this morning. We are asking, and we're starting this today, and we're going to continue to do this. Um, we're going to continue to do this. Um, we're asking that these hallways that go into our children's ministry, that when you, that only moms or dads that are picking up children use these hallways. In other words, Please don't use these hallways as a quick exit to the parking lot, but use these hallways uh, in picking up your children. It'll help a great deal with congestion as we um, make the transition from one service to another. It's safer for the children, 
and we're going to continue to do that, but we're going to start today with that, and we, and we thank you so much for your cooperation in that. I want to share with you another thing, too, that's really not related to Easter, but it's something that we feel like that we, we, um, we need to be doing, and that is that we are giving you a more convenient way of worshiping the Lord through giving. There's actually a couple of ways that we're doing this. You can now present your gift to the Lord through texting. Is that crazy? You can text the word give to the phone number that's on your screen, 407-499-8499. And it's a very, very con convenient way of giving. Now, now let me be um, honest with you. I struggle with this because it's just not the way I was raised. It's, it's not how I learned to give. Uh, but I'm learning ever so slowly that that's our culture today, that the millennials, I'm not even sure what that means, <laughs> that the millennials among us, this is how they do it. And so we, we wanted to um, facilitate that for them. Uh, so we are, we are beginning. It's ready to go now. It's, it's up and operating. You might give it a shot and see how it works for you. But it's a text. Text give to the number that's on the screen. We'll also be telling you more about um, how you can give online for all of that. has been upgraded as well through our website. And um, it's up and ready to go. If I knew how to explain that to you, I would. Um, I'm just learning that myself. But uh, avail yourself of those opportunities, if you would. All right. My prayer for us today is that we, we, we would grow in our belief of Jesus. That we would grow in our trust. All of the songs that we sang this morning had to do with the worthiness of Jesus to be trusted. And it would be well for each of us this morning to ask ourselves the question, do I believe God? Do I trust him? When I sing a song that says, he is all that I need, do I really, really believe that? We sing a song that says, he is all that I want. Will we trust him today? Will we believe him today? Will we grow in that? There's not an individual in this room that does not have room in their lives to grow in their belief and their trust of God. God makes promises to us. Do we believe his promises? When God says, I will never leave you, do you believe that promise that he is always with you? Do you experience that promise in your life? Do you experience his presence regardless of where you are? It doesn't matter where you go. He is there. There's some places that we go that we don't want him there, but he's there. There's some experiences in our lives where we desperately need him. I tell you this morning, he is there. Do we believe his promises? Will you pray with me and ask God to grow us in this area? 
Lord Jesus, as we open up Your Word, we are inundated with Your love and Your grace and Your mercy, and we see those and we experience those through Your promises in the Bible. And Lord, we confess to You today that too often we'll believe a lie before we believe your promise. That too often we won't trust what you have said to us. Lord, we acknowledge that you love us perfectly. That you are infinite in knowledge. That you want what's best for us. That you know what's best for us. And it is through your promises that you express your power in bringing about those things in our life. Help us to believe that. Help us to trust that. You are all we want. You are all we need. May that be our testimony. Bless our study of your word is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We continue our family series this week. One of the things that really, it wasn't my intent or plan to focus on eternal perspective in teaching God's Word, what God's Word has to say about family, but that's the thing that, has, that God has, has taught me more than any other thing, that everything God does is about eternity. That when God teaches us, He teaches us an eternal perspective. Everything that we do should have an eternal perspective. God wants eternity, that is to say, forever and ever and ever, as opposed to the present. He wants eternity to be the focus of our lives. And we've, we've got to grow in this. This is something that we've got to get. This is something that is, will radically change our lives. We would do well to evaluate every, every decision that we make in light of eternity. In, in deciding this matter, whatever it is, in deciding who I'm going to marry, in deciding what car I'm going to purchase, in deciding my kids are going to school and deciding vacations and in every decision that we make we would do well to make them in light of eternity in deciding whatever the matter is we should ask ourselves according to my decision what decision impacts eternity more that's a radical lifestyle wouldn't you agree I think that one of the purposes of gathering together and studying God's Word is to change the way we think. And one of the, the areas, I, maybe the greatest area that God would want to change the way we think is changing us from thinking temporally to eternally. We think about forever and ever and ever. And we see this in our study of marriage these last three weeks. Let's review. Marriage is a picture of the relationship with Jesus and the church. E Ephesians 2.7 says this, In the coming ages, 
He will show the riches of His grace toward us. In the coming ages, it's talking about eternity there. This this idea that our marriage is to be a picture, a picture to us, a picture to the world, a picture to all who will see, all who will look upon your marriage relationship, that, that it would be a picture of God's relationship, of Jesus' relationship with the church, with every believer, with you. That your marriage is designed to bring God glory. God's greatest glory will be seen in heaven, according to Ephesians 2.7. In the ages to come, we'll praise Him. We'll give Him glory. In eternity, it'll be a place where the greatest Our greatest value on our salvation will be manifest. In other words, the reality that God came to earth and gave his life so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life, we value that greatly, but not like we will in heaven. When we get to heaven, when we're in eternity, then we'll we'll truly know what it cost him to do that for us will truly know that that he was the one who initiated the whole process, that he chose us, that he called us to himself, that he forgave us, that that he gave us eternal life, that he entered into intimacy, a a real relationship with us. And we value that now, but not like we will in eternity. And when when we understand the full value of that, it will give him glory. And we will praise Him as a result. Our marriage is designed to give Him glory. Our marriage has uh, eternal implications. We, that's radical thinking. That's the way we have to think. It's not about you and her or you and him as much as it's about Him and how God wants to use you. Here, we, we said that marriage was more about covenant-keeping then it was about love, that it's meant to picture God's unconditional love for us, that he loves us no matter what, that he will always keep his covenant with us. His covenant is in his shed blood. And our marriage is to be a picture of that. We said that marriage is about being one. It's not you and me. It's us. Just as we are one in Christ, just as He is the head, we are His body. So a husband and wife are to be one, not two. Marriage is about synergy in ministry. Have you ever thought of your marriage in in this perspective that God has sovereignly and providentially brought together you and your spouse has brought you together in marriage so that the two of you can serve God more effectively than you could apart or that you could alone thus impacting eternity and so bringing God glory all that we've talked about in marriage has been about eternity Why? Because everything God does, He does with eternity in mind. Because when He teaches us, He teaches us to grow our focus on eternity. 
when we study God's Word, when we interpret Scripture. We've got to learn to interpret God's Word in light of eternity because that's, He's teaching us with eternity in mind. I think this is especially true when we study the parables that Jesus taught. In the New Testament, there actually are 46 parables if you include all of the analogies that Jesus taught in the course of his teaching us. They are extremely, parables are extremely difficult to understand unless we look at them through the lens of eternity or in light of eternity or with the perspective of eternity. It is true when we begin to talk about money and possessions especially in how they are uh, how they are are regarding our marriage in any top 5 list of reasons for marriages ending in divorce you'll always find money or financial problems in that top 5 list infidelity is another communication is another career well, i, I want to tell you that's a lie that's not so the root of every difficulty in marriage is always spiritual. Because we're spiritual beings. Over half of all the parables deal with possessions or money. Half. One out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with possessions or money. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven or hell or faith. Why? You've got to agree with this. Because God knows how much money influences and impacts our life. If you don't manage money, money will manage you. Jesus teaches a parable in Luke, the 16th chapter, verses 1 through 17. The parable is actually uh, 1 through 9, and he explains it for us. It's become known as the story of the shrewd manager. We look at this parable, and we desire to look at it through the lens of eternity. What does this mean for eternity's sake, Luke chapter 16 and verse 1, I'll, I'll just read a portion of this. Jesus is talking to the disciples. We also know from this passage of Scripture that the religious leaders of that day who opposed the teachings of Jesus were present. He says in verse 1, he said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to the manager, or charges were brought to Jesus that this man, the manager, was wasting his possessions. And so he called him, the manager, and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What shall I do? My master is taking the management away from me. I'm getting fired, is what he's saying. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm, not ashamed, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, 
Summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master... Obviously, hearing of this, witnessing this, being told of this, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it falls, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. Certainly, you would agree with me that this is not a parable that suggests that Jesus would complement dishonesty. If we don't look at this through the light of eternity, that's certainly a conclusion that we might draw from reading this parable. But Jesus is teaching us. He's saying, look, there's some things this dishonest guy did that we as children of light, and when he talks about children of light, he compares us to the children of this age in the passage of Scripture. The children of this age are those who have their focus and their mindset on the temporal, on the here and now. And the children of light are the people who have their focus and their mindset and their priority and what drives them and what moves them and their purpose on eternity. And he says the people who, who, who are of this age, you know what, they're more shrewd. And by the way, shrewd's not a bad word. Shrewd is the, is the same word that Jesus used when he said to us as his followers, we should be shrewd as serpents. We should be as wise as serpents and, and as gentle as doves. So shrewdness is good. Jesus calls us to be shrewd. And, and he's saying that the people of this age are wiser with their possessions he says this guy does, a, does some good things. Number one, he, he kind of has a focus on his future. He's concerned that he's getting fired, that he's, he's losing his, his income, his, his way of making a living. And so, and so he, he's cognizant of that because he's looking to the future. We should look to the future. But we're interpreting this in light of eternity, so we should be looking in, in, in the perspective of eternity. Then, then this man, he plans for his future. He, he writes down a plan. The Bible says he writes it down quickly. So he's thinking about the future. We should be thinking about the future. He's planning for the future. We ought to be planning for the future. And he has a sense of urgency about it. We ought to have a sense of urgency about it. And what, is, what does Jesus want us to take from this passage of Scripture that, that we can apply to our lives today? What does Jesus want us to take from this passage of Scripture that helps us grow in our opportunities, that helps us to grow in our decision-making, that impacts eternity in a great, great way? Well, first, I think that he kind of gives us a purpose for our giving, especially when I read verse 9 where he talks about making friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. Unrighteous wealth is the temporal wealth that we have right now. It's the wealth that will never last and how we're, we're to use that to impact eternity. The greatest use 
of my possessions, of my money, is to use it, use them to get people to heaven. I don't know how to make it any simpler than that. When I give through, through the church, when I give to God, listen, this has got to be perfectly clear. When we give, we give to God. Always. I, 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 I'm not a big fan of fundraisers. I like to give, give gifts to God. If God's people brought God's money to God's house on God's day, there would be no such thing in the church as fundraisers. I think about the missionaries that we have in this building. And, and, and they would disagree with me about this because I've sat and talked with, this, with them about it. But it, it breaks my heart that, that, that they spend any portion of their time at all raising money so that they can be in ministry. Because if God, people would bring God's money to God's house on God's day, they, they wouldn't have to do that. And they go, well, God uses that in our lives, and we grow spiritually through that, and we learn to trust him more. And I'm sure all of that is true, but I don't think that's God's intent. That they go out, and, and they have a word for it. I don't even remember what it is, but... When we give, we give to Him. We give to God. When you, when you give through this church, you give to ministry, you give to reach in this community for Christ, you give to impact eternity. But the gift is to God. It's our worship of God. I hope that a lot of you are involved in giving to, to missional ministries. We have many that are represented here in our church. When we do that, we're investing in spreading the gospel for the purpose of building God's kingdom. It all is about eternity. And I emphasize the greatest use of your money, of your possessions, is to be used to impact eternity. Matthew says it this way. This is Jesus talking. Matthew 6, 20 and 21, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Temporal things are just that. They're temporal. Eternal things last forever. I think in this parable we see in verses 10 and 11 that we're given a, um, uh, a mindset, an attitude, a pattern for living. I don't know if you've ever thought about money or possessions this way, but I want you to know that money and possessions are a test God gives us. Tests are, are given to reveal something, and the test of money is used in our lives to reveal what we really love. Unrighteous wealth in this parable is money and material possessions that are temporal. And listen, this is important. The true riches that he's talking about when he compares unrighteous wealth with true riches, the true riches that he's talking about are spiritual things in our life. He's talking about, about using us in ministry, using us to impact the lives of others. He's talking about the depth of intimacy that we experience in our relationship with God. In verse 13 in this passage of Scripture, we didn't read there, that verse 13 says, you can't love God and money that you have to choose one or the other. I believe this with everything inside of me. All of us have experienced 
those, those spiritual valleys. We find ourselves in a spiritual rut. We don't feel spiritual. We, we, feel, we don't feel close to God. We know that we're not growing in our relationship with Him. And I believe that oftentimes we find ourselves in these ruts, and it comes down to what or who we love the most and how we're allowing things that are temporal, that we love more than God, to impact our relationship with Him, our intimacy with Him, our ministry for Him. The ministry that he does through us. When we love money, we can't grow. We can't experience his love for us. We can't experience our love for him. Money causes spiritual impotence more than any other thing. It hinders our ministry. It hinders our intimacy with God. Why why would we let something that is going to rot impact our relationship with God. I've known people who say, well, you know, if I made more, if I had more, I, 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 I would give. No, you wouldn't. I, I've, known, I've known people that, that says, you know, Dale, I'm going to just be perfectly honest with you, I make too much to give a tithe. People have said that to me. In, in, in quoting for me their salary. So my response usually is, brother, my, my heart breaks for you. I'm going to pray that God will reduce your salary enough so that you can afford to give. <laughs> because that's silly, isn't it? That's silly. If you can't be trusted with the temporal, how is God going to trust you with the eternal? He says in these verses, we we should read 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest or unfaithful in a very little is also unfaithful in much. That's verse 10. 11, Jesus goes on and he says, If then you have not been faithful in the little or in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? Who will entrust you to the eternal? Who will entrust you to the spiritual things? Who will entrust you to the things that will last forever? If you can't can't be faithful with a little, you won't be faithful with much. If you can't be trusted with the physical, how can you be trusted with the spiritual? If you can't be trusted with this world's things, how can you be trusted with the things of God's kingdom? This is, we don't believe God. We don't trust God. We don't trust God. We don't trust God when he says, I'm your father, I know what you need, and I will meet your need. We don't believe him. While I was reading this parable, I was just kind of meditating and just pondering on it. This silly, silly thing came to my mind. It was um, the old let's make a deal show where a contestant is given something, and it's usually something nice. And as they get ready to turn and walk away, the, the host of the show goes, wait, 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 wait. You can keep that if you want. Or you can trade it in for what's behind door number two. I think that's the situation we find ourselves in. God has entrusted to you something. 
right? And he says to you, you can keep that, or you can trade it in for what's, what I've prepared for you. What have you prepared for me? Well, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of the man, heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So we don't know. You think it's good or bad? Oh, it's good. And I think the whole point of it is that when you compare it to what I've entrusted to you, it's unbelievable. I think Paul writes in Corinthians that, that these, these momentary difficulties that we have in life are nothing compared to what we receive. It's that kind of idea that we place so much value on what we have and Jesus is saying, it's nothing. It's nothing. I don't care what's in your bank account and I don't care how many square foot you live in. I don't care. It's nothing compared to what God has prepared for those who love him. And are you willing to say, this is not mine, God, it's yours, I'll use it anyway. I'll make my decisions based on what impacts eternity more. That is trading in the nothing to get something great. Now when you put it in that perspective, can I use this word? Aren't we stupid not to do that? I I won't use that word. We're crazy. Not to do that. We take our, what God's entrusted to us, think of it as a salary if you want to. We take our three or $4,000 a month or whatever it is, we run with it instead of trading it in on what God has prepared for us. It's this attitude, it's this mindset, it's this pattern for living. I believe principle of blessings can also be included in what Jesus is trying to teach us here. I think that's what verse 11 is all about, where, where he says to us, I've already read this to you, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, the, the material things, the temporal things, who will entrust you with the spiritual things? The Bible says that he, he who is faithful with a little will be put in charge of much. You've heard me say this a million times. I believe it with everything inside of me. It's my personal testimony. You can't outgive God. The Bible says, give and it will be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, overflowing, will men give unto your bosom is what the Bible says in Matthew. That is not a prosperity theology, which by the way, I do not agree with the prosperity theology plant a seed and get rich. I don't think God's intent is that all of us be millionaires. But I do believe that you can't outgive God. I do believe that when you give, you are, you, you are demonstrating your faithfulness with what God has entrusted to you. And that demonstration of faithfulness will bring more. So that... Because you've been faithful, you've set a pattern, we've seen what you do, you receive more so that you can give more. So, what I'm saying is, that what I think Jesus is saying, is we give to get. To give. To get to give. To get to give. And when we're faithful with a little, we will be put in charge of much. I guess it comes down to verse 13, doesn't it? 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot love God in money. It's one or the other. I must choose what I love most. I got to choose. Here's the test. What percentage of your heart is in heaven? What percent is in the temporal? What percent is in the eternal? 10% in the eternal? 20% in the eternal? Are you a spiritual giant and 50% is in the eternal? God challenges us. Jesus teaches us. His heart and His desire, 100% in the eternal. That's where He wants us. It's reflected in a lifestyle. God wants all of you. He does entrust temporal possessions to you. They're to be used for eternity. They're not to be loved. Because compared to what He has for us, when we use them for eternity, when we trade it in on what's behind door number two, Folks, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 300 years from now, we're still going to be together. And after 10,000 years has passed, the, the song says it'll be just the beginning. That's eternity. For all who profess Christ as Savior, for all who have trust and belief in Him and His shed blood on that cross and have experienced forgiveness, we'll be together 200 years from now. Think about that contestant who chose to keep what was given him and discovered that behind door two was a million dollars a year for the rest of his life. What do you think he thinks? Oh, man. That was crazy. That was dumb. That was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. I should have taken... 200 years from now, will that be what we're saying? Oh, that was crazy. That was dumb. That was stupid. Why didn't I? It's a test. It's a test. How are you doing on the test? Does God really have first place in your life? Do you trust Him? Do you believe His promises? What are you investing in eternity? Can you trust God with spiritual blessings? I want to invite you to stand. Look. If you get upset because the preacher once or twice a year at the most preaches on money, let me ask you this question. Why? Why are you upset? It's just money. It will pass away. It's temporal. It won't last. It'll buy things that rot. Why would you be upset? Maybe there's too much love. Maybe there's too much focus there. And if it's focused there, the Bible says it can't be focused here on eternal things. 
when we choose to trust God, it radically revolutionizes our life. Lord Jesus, have your will and way in every heart and life. There's some people here who are very, very uncomfortable. God, minister to them. I ask you, please, love them. Reveal yourself to them. Grow them in their faith. Grow them in their trust. When you, when you put your arms around us and you say, I am your father. I am a good, good father. I know your need. I will meet your need. I will protect you. Help us to believe you. Help us to value eternity more than we value the temporal. Do a work in our hearts and lives, even in this moment. Help us to recommit, rededicate. Help us to give ourselves to you wholly. I pray in Jesus' name.